Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 88th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Most of us at one time or another have heard the phrase, no one likes a quitter. In general, the word quitter has a bad connotation in the English language and is often associated with failure, lack of accomplishment, or being unable to follow through with a commitment or promise. However, many of us are probably less familiar with the psychological term, the gambler's fallacy, also known as the fallacy of the maturity of chances. The gambler's fallacy stipulates that most people keep on chipping away at something they know to be unfruitful in the hopes that eventually their efforts will pay off. Much like a chronic gambler who is $10,000 in the hole that believes that just one roll of the dice will allow them to hit jackpot, many of us fall into this same trap when we organize our lives. We erroneously believe that if we just hang tight in a toxic work environment or in an abusive relationship, eventually our dedication and persistence will pay off. While no one would contest that hard work is part of being successful, being smart and wise in the things you decide to plunge your energy into is just as important. As a person gets older, it begins to dawn on them that their time on this earth is not everlasting and the decisions that they make will ultimately come to define their existence. Joining me to share his experience giving up on the world of teaching and turning to acting, I am once again joined by Patrick. Patrick, are we just a bunch of no good quitters, my friend? Yes. <laughs> Conversation over. Thank you. Yeah, this is short and sweet. I love it. I don't think so. I think um, you could make the argument that an interesting person will try several things. And mm. perhaps um, I, I, I wouldn't consider myself gifted in any one particular area where I would stick with it my whole life. Uh, maybe it's a sign of a healthy mind to uh, try several things, to have several careers. I agree. And, you know, it's funny, millennials like such as us, we actually have never even been given that choice. I feel like I feel like the job market is so crazy that it's almost as if you don't have a choice but to kind of be flexible and, and wear different hats and try new things. And, you know, I, I, I like reading about successful people. Like I, I, I try and learn from them. And I also I, I noticed that a lot of them, especially when they were in their 20s, had very checkered you know, work history and very spotted, like, you know, did this for six months, bartended for five months here, there, there. And it's almost as if like they, you know, people would say, oh, that's just a wayward person or a lost person. But I'm like, well, you know, maybe there's something to be said about trying to find yourself in all of these different roles. Sure. I, I would agree with that mainly because I fit into that category. But uh, I think that it's kind of rare to find somebody who knows exactly what they want to do and sees it through to the end. Um, particularly, as you said, in today's day and age uh, and with this job market. But I always, I find it rather, I don't know if charming is the word, but I, I like when somebody, to me that that's a mark of a, um, not a non-serious mind. Oh, I would say a non-serious mind, but I mean that in a positive way. And that somebody is flexible enough to be able to let go of this uh, societal pressure to get a career, sit in that career until you make X, Y, and Z, you know, work your way up the chain. And that is what a, a normal, successful, responsible human does. And to some degree, when somebody flies in the face of that, I find comfort in that. And I think a lot of people do, actually. Well, although a lot of people I don't think could stomach that or wouldn't, ha wouldn't be comfortable switching careers, I think secretly 
they either admire it or they admire that person for uh, you know having the conviction to do something that maybe they wish they could do, but who knows? Right. And, and I think that a lot of what I've come to find is that a lot of people have an aversion to uncertainty and risk. Like, and, and that is that is especially true of our generation that we don't like risk. We don't like, you know, you know, I think what's the phrase people don't like giving up the bird in hand or something like that. It, it's just like, yeah. hey, yeah. you know, I have the, this pension, I have this stuff guaranteed, right? I mean, you know, and very few people even have pensions anymore. But I, I think that it's this this idea that like there, there's truth on both sides of the court, right? Because on one hand, if you're constantly giving up, well, then you never get to rise to the ranks of seniority. Like, right, you right. never get to, you never get to be like, oh yeah, you know, I started off doing this and, and now I'm a supervisor or now I'm that. So you never actually, you know, rise to the, to the level of, of, of like, here's where I was before and here's where I am now. So I think that, you know, in, in my opinion, like if I found something, Patrick, where I was like, okay, this actually works, or I actually think that this is a good fit for me, I would actually stick to it for a very long time. Like, I, I don't think that if, if there's a perfectly good opportunity to be had, I, I wouldn't just toss that into the trash can and be like, I'm bored or whatever. I, I think you do owe it to yourself to, to go in deep into that. I think it's a question of like finding what exactly that is. Sure. And it's also the question of how long do you give that a chance, you know, because you could get to, I think we, last time we spoke, we talked about an insurance salesman. <laughs> For some reason, that just seems like the most, you know, like stereotypically boring job ever. And perhaps the first six months of being an insurance salesman really isn't that bad. And the benefits are great. And you go out to a steak dinner and, you know, they treat you well, but maybe over time this ennui sets in and you start to understand that perhaps you're not challenging yourself mentally. So I think, you're right. It's a fine line between giving something a chance and also realizing when something's no longer going to give you the mental satisfaction that perhaps you're looking for. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Now, since we're both teachers, Patrick, would you mind just walking our audience through a little bit of your mindset of when you first, you, you, you were a chemistry teacher for nine years. Could you walk us a little bit through your mental processes throughout, throughout that time? Sure, absolutely. Um, I actually fell into teaching kind of by accident, if there is such a possibility. Oh, yeah, there's a I lot of us. A, there's a lot of us who yeah, fell into yeah. it. <laughs> I, have a, I have a family filled with teachers, and I was it's, it's somewhat of a crossroads. I was working at the Bronx Zoo, believe it or not, as a zookeeper, hmm. um, and I was just miserable. There's a lot of things happening. I was young, and I had just broken up with a girl, and I just, <laughs> I, I literally quit my job because my lease was coming up, and I bought a plane ticket and went to South Africa and did some traveling there. I mean, it was the most like out of a movie, stupid thing you've ever heard in your life. Uh, but I needed a job when I came back and it was May and I knew that they'd be looking for teachers. Um, having been around education my whole life, I applied to a bunch of schools and I got into a, a good school in the city. And then I, that was it. And they basically at the time, this was 20 years ago, there was, you didn't need a degree to teach in a private school. They threw you into the classroom and they're like, good luck. <laughs> You know, and you either survived or you did not. And some people did not survive. But, and then you get into a routine and it was nice. And I enjoyed teaching and I was good at it. And, you know, I liked the people I worked with a lot. I liked the kids. The vacation was just undeniably amazing. Uh, and you settle into this sort of secure, you know, for the first time I had security. I wasn't making a lot of money, obviously, but I felt secure and it was good. You know, it then, kind of, 
Well, go ahead. Yeah, it kind of remind your story kind of reminds me of like Maslow's hierarchy. I just have that pyramid going through my head where it's like came back from South Africa. I you know and and one of the things that stood out to me is like your lease was almost up. It's like and I needed money and I needed this and that. Right. And I think that right. like sometimes in life we just we need a job. We need money. Sure. Like I can't Absolutely. afford groceries and that's like a very real thing. And I don't want to like discredit that. I don't want to make it seem like, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, you yeah. sit there on the street and you starve and figure out what it is you want to do. I'm yeah, like, yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not advocating for that at all. Like I'm, I'm saying yeah. that like sometimes in life we do have to just come with the first thing that, that comes our way. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah absolutely. Anybody who doesn't have a job will tell you, and I'm sure you've been in this position, there is no worse feeling. And, and it's all you can think about when you're unemployed is like getting a job, getting a job, getting a job, and then you get a job. And two months later, you're like, I hate this job. I don't want to get out of here. Like you've forgotten how panicky you get and like what an awful feeling it is to be insecure with employment. And so to your point, yeah, I I think sometimes you need to take a job. You know, you need to pay the rent. Uh, It's like, I, I, I read a lot of Alan Watts and philosophy and like, you know, you could say none of this is real and nothing matters and we're all actors on the stage, but you still got to pay your rent. You know, so <laughs> you got to have a job. I hate to say it. You can, there's no such thing as a wandering mystic anymore because it's just, you, you know, I don't know how you're going to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I agree with that. Um, and, and we all, we all have like our baseline needs that have to be met. And then this is, this is true. Okay. So you, you fell into teaching and now baseline needs are met. Right. Continue. And it feels good, right? When you first get any yeah, job sure. and you're like, sure. great, I can pay my rent. Let me, let me celebrate this new job by going out on Friday to TGI with the boys and having some beer, you know, like, like yeah. we all yeah, get yeah. into this, like great feeling. Walk me through how that slowly starts unraveling. Right. So over time, and as you're very well aware, as I started teaching the same material, even though it was nine months worth of curriculum, it really started to grate on me like the second year where I suddenly was realizing like, oh my God, I have to teach this again and then again and again and so on. And to me, maybe it's the way I'm wired or the way my brain works. That was torture because I suddenly saw, I mean, this is a little ridiculous. I saw my future just stretch out ahead of me like, oh, I'm just going to teach forever. I'm going to be that old man teacher, you know, eating an apple in the courtyard and then I'm going to be dead. (laughs) And like, I've done nothing with my life which is fairly extreme, but that is what struck me at the oh, time. And I, I think that's I was, beautiful. I, yeah, I, just, I, mean, I, I think, I think that's beautiful because most people don't ever think that far ahead. You know, I, I just did a, a podcast not too long ago with my friend Alexander and we're like, most people are incapable of thinking of what they will look like in five years, let alone 80 years, you know? Right. So I, I think, right. I think that what you just described is a very important skill set of like baseline needs are met where is this taking me and what am I going to look like? I, I like what you just said. Like, I'm going to be an old man eating an apple in the courtyard. That's beautiful. I think everyone needs to get that mental imagery into their head of like, what the hell am I going to be? And what the hell am I going to look like at 80? Right. And I think I, I shifted into more of, to my detriment often, a short-term thinking because I, I just didn't want to be one of those people that you know, you save and scrimp your whole life. And then you're like, yeah, but when I retire at 65, I'll be able to travel. And it's like, well, I want to travel now. And also like at 65, I'm not going to want to really travel that often. And things are going to be so different. And, you know, like my life will have less of what I have now in terms of, you know, like 
being active and energetic and I don't mean to disparage any 65 year olds, but I just, I wanted to experience these things now. And I thought that this sort of, uh, I don't know if it's American only, but this, this societal push to be like, no, be responsible for the first, you know, three quarters of your life and then you can enjoy yourself. And I just think that that's fundamentally flawed. And I don't know where that came from. And it just really affected my thinking. And I, it was funny, like I was uh, teaching for probably about six years and I was like, I've got to get out of here. And somehow, but I was smart enough at least not to just jettison without some sort of a plan. Mm-hmm. And I had been getting the acting bug from nowhere. I'd never done theater or anything in my life. And um, I decided like, listen, I'm going to take a class while I'm teaching to make sure that like, this is what I want to do. And I took a class and sure enough, I fell in love with it and I was good at it. And then I just took the big step and quit teaching. Okay. There's a few things I want to kind of touch upon here that I think are worth, um, you know, making a a distinguishing between. Okay. When you're in your like, you know, later 20, like, look, I think you should have some fun in your early twenties, no doubt. Like have some fun and do go backpacking in Europe and do something crazy. Totally fine. I do think when we say like, you shouldn't, you know, necessarily work hard for the first three quarters of your life or something like that. I'm going to say, I'm going to add a little bit to that and say, well, I think that you shouldn't just be on a permanent state of vacation. Like I'm not, I don't, I think that's a little, I think that's too far in the other extreme where it's like, you know, yay, I'm just, you know, I'm going to the Bahamas, then Bermuda, Bermuda, you know, like, like, I, I think that there has to be, you actually have to be trying to find yourself and where it is you belong in this world. So when we say like, don't take life seriously for the first three quarters of life and so forth, I think what we're trying to say here is take your, your full-time job is basically finding out who you are and where you can excel at. And right. I, I think that's actually not a lot of fun. I think that's a really arduous and painful task to to go through all of these different jobs and be like, oh, this is not a good fit for me. Oh, I'm a failure here. Oops, they don't like me here. Oops, I don't have the personality for this. Like, I think that's, that takes a lot of pain. So I, I would say like, you know, you can have a little fun here and there, but you ultimately need to get back on the horse and find out where exactly is your destination. Yeah, I actually agree with you 100%. And uh, I would never suggest like following your whims for your life would make you happy. In fact, I think it'll make you miserable. Um, Mm. And I learned this because I had a couple of um, just circumstantially some things worked out where I had like, um, I taught a half a year at a school in Jersey City because a teacher was like having an operation. And suddenly I had like four months of free time. And so I decided on a whim, I was going to just go to Southeast Asia and Eastern Europe for four months I subletted my apartment and I was like, oh my God, it's my dream because I love to travel. And what I discovered was that that becomes work too. And <laughs> most people wouldn't, you know, they'd be like, what, what do you mean? It's just that like that doesn't give your life purpose, even though most people think that, you know, um, pursuing whatever pleasures you want uh, is going to, is going to somehow make you happy. And what I learned is that if I don't have a purpose and I'm not like working towards something, I am quite unhappy. So it was a wonderful trip, but I wasn't, it wasn't the bliss experience I thought it was going to be. In fact, it was like, sometimes it was just straight up work and I didn't want to be there. And I, I found myself ironically daydreaming of like having the structure of going to work 
because you start, I mean, I would start to feel like lazy and I would start to feel useless. And I really don't like that feeling. You know, it's funny. This reminds me of the phrase, like we all yearn for freedom until we actually get it. (laughs) It is so true. It's so, so true. I think if everybody, if everybody wants to cure themselves uh, of their sort of like a yearning to travel, you know, everybody says at some point, like, I'd love to travel for a year. I don't think most people are cut out for that. I am certainly not. Just plan a trip like that. And you'll see like a month later, you'll be, you'll be like, oh my God, what have I done? Because it's not, <laughs> it's not the answer you think it's going to be. Yeah. You know, I've, I, I used to travel a little bit uh, when I was younger for not, not as extensive as you, like for two weeks, like even like I had in the back of my mind, like, okay, this can't last forever. And I would say by like probably day 10 or day 11, I'm yeah. like, enough is enough already. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. getting, I'm getting, first off, you gain a lot of weight. Let me just, and you're, <laughs> you're, you're away from the gym. You're away from exercise for the most part, eating, you know, you know, you're just you're, celebrating every yeah, eating. Every meal is, is a meal out. Right. Yeah. And then, and yeah. then, you know, Oh, you're at, and then I, I used to stay at hostels back in the day and it was like, Time. Oh, you want to grab some beers? Yeah. yeah. You know, every all the calories, money. calories, calories, cal- you know, and, and then money, 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 you're, you're spending tons of money. You're getting heavier. You're not. And, and then there just comes a point in every vacation where you walk into a bookstore or something like this. And you're just like, what the hell am I doing right now? Like, yeah, exactly. like where the hell am I? What am I doing? Well, you stop, you stop having a purpose in a way. And I think that <laughs> That is because you, you know as I've gotten older I still travel quite a bit but I try to make them purposeful right so yeah now like you know I've gone to I've done a, a trek to Everest base camp which keeps you fully occupied that becomes your job you know for three weeks every morning you're getting up at 5 a.m and you're walking for 10 hours and it's beautiful and it's an incredible experience but that's what's called second tier fun which is like it's terrible at the time but then when you're done you're just like, oh, that was amazing. It was so great. But during the trip, you're like, I hate every second of this. And so I appreciate that travel more because I, I have a purpose and it's not me, you know, getting hammered in some, um, you know, Cape Town hostel with a bunch of people, which there's a time and place for that for sure. But, you know, once you get a little older, you're just like, oh, this is not the answer at all. Yeah, yeah, get no, no, totally get it out of your system. Ag- agreed yes. with you on that. Um, but then it's important to get it out of your system and not return to it yes. because it's like you, you're, 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 you're when you're like you know we have to kind of I think we think of a person that bounces from job to job as being like a drifter. You know, like right. I think one of the in America we have the idea of the traveling hobo, like the dude who would just <laughs> little- get on the back of a of a, a rail car and then he would go into some random town and and be like yeah i could be a short order cook here for for like a month or so and then the hobo would just collect enough money and then get back on the train and just travel and i'm like that's not what we're preaching here what we're preaching is that you take jobs and you take opportunities and you take them really 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 seriously like Mm -hmm. i actually think that when you take a new job or a new opportunity really put your heart into it and really go crazy at it because you want to be sure that it failed, not because, you know, you don't want you to, you don't want your laziness to be the variable that made you fail. You want, you want to, you want it to be either the environment was not right for you, your personality wasn't right for it, or some other factor was not right for it. Don't let your laziness be the factor as to why you fail. Yeah, I totally agree. And oftentimes everybody knows this when you, usually when you start a job, it sucks because it's unfamiliar. You don't know anyone, you're the new guy or gal. And so it's tempting to just 
be like, I'm out of here. I hate this. I don't want to work here. And I know a lot of people like that, um, particularly because I'm an actor and I have a lot of people who work in bars and stuff. And they've, they've worked in dozens and dozens of places because they just don't like a vibe of a place. And I, I'm with you. I think you need to really, you know, whatever. I, I, there's a really good phrase that I love and it's how you do anything is how you do everything. And mm. so every job you should take seriously. You know, you, you should have a good work ethic or else I think you're, you're in you're in store for an unhappy life. Yes, I, I agree with that. Now, I, I kind of want to share a little bit of my experiences. So I, I taught for 10 years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a year more than you did. And I would say probably after the first, second year, I, I, I should have called it quits. And <laughs> I, I really, I really, I really did put in a lot of hard work into it. I really, I really, I did all the things that you described. I took it seriously. I made, you know, well-crafted lesson plans, PowerPoints, like handouts. You know, I really, I really tried to take it as seriously as I possibly could. And it just, it just wasn't working. And what I found is that there was a few things going on in my head. A lot of fellow teachers and a lot, oh, just stick it out, man. You know, it's much, it's much scarier on the outside is one of the things that you're told. Oh, it's, it's much scarier out there, man. You don't know what's out there. It's scary. And, and like you're, you're told that, or another classic one is it gets better with time. It's better. It gets better with time is, is another one that you heard. And what I did was, is I, I actually believe those things. I'm like, okay, these guys are way older than me and, and so forth. Like I, I'm going to take them at their word. It's scarier on the outside and it'll get better with time. And I found that it never did. N- none of those right. things ended up being true at all. It never got better with time. It got, got worse in many ways. And, and, and time just kept on like a calendar. Just, it just kept on, you know, shaving away at me. And I think that you know, there, there were probably several points in my career where baseline needs were met. And what I noticed about myself is that I didn't put in the necessary time and energy to rebuild myself. And that takes a lot of work. It's really difficult to rebuild yourself once you have a full-time job. I think, I think a full-time job actually completely, like there, there's this idea in, in psychology, I think that sometimes in order to grow, you actually have to be in a very dangerous place. And, and sure. my friend Roger says that if there's one thing that's true, you know, that psychologists will tell you is that we are very fundamentally lazy people. And if you have a full-time job, right, and your basic needs are being met, there's no impetus to really improve and to really do the hard work and start trying to look at other careers or going for that degree at night and, and doing whatever it is that you need to get out of that situation because you're like, baseline needs are already met. And I right. think that's something that people need to be aware of at all times. Like when something's not working, they need to be honest with themselves immediately and be like, this isn't working. This is not where I belong. I, I'm not going to necessarily quit my job tomorrow, but I need to start building like a tunnel for myself on how to get out of this. Yeah. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that you just described, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of people. And for whatever reason, maybe it's as you get older and you get more comfortable, you know, it's that old thing of, uh, I hate this job, but I just got a promotion. So I'm going to stick it out. And you just kind of keep getting like, you keep getting like treats to get you to the next level. And, <laughs> you know, at, at, at some point people are just like, well, I can't quit. The money's too good. Even though if you've been saving your money, you know, there's that whole, there's a, it's a trap. I think there's a lot of traps to fall into. And it's, as you said, to grow, you need to experience pain. Mm, and that yeah. is undeniable. And I think that uh, with, 
jobs especially because it's so unpleasant to find a job it's unpleasant to start a job and to get good at it nobody wants to do that it's just such a it's like moving moving is just such a hassle and even if you're in a terrible apartment you're like i know but i just don't want to move because you gotta go <laughs> find an apartment then you gotta you know it sucks it's like there's all the paperwork and everything and i think that with um with jobs especially you know the the history of of uh, mankind is like people just sort of you do something and you, you know you don't want to put the energy or the experience the pain that goes along with changing that thing and all of a sudden you're 75 years old you look back in your life and you're like damn i damn it i missed it you know and it's it's very seductive because once you're in a comfortable place i think you start to get that little germ of something and you perhaps you felt the teaching i certainly did where i just started to feel like something was wrong and i was like i got to get out of here i'm i'm going to waste away and i was seeing these teachers who've been teaching for 40 years and i was just like i do not want to be that person no. because i just found that so very depressing and this is not a knock on them obviously it was just i try to remember life is very short and i don't want to waste any more of it than i have to working with this one lady um i think she was you know either in her late 50s or early 60s and she was just so miserable. And bear in mind, you know, if you're if you're in the public school system and you're investing away in TDA, you got like eight percent matching. That's pretty darn. That's a pretty darn good retirement thing. Let me just sure. tell you. Sure. But you know, she had she had you know the, the twenty somewhat odd years. She had the eight percent matching, but she just you know at one point she just broke down in tears and said, "Aaron, I feel like I've wasted my entire life." And bear in mind, you know, she probably had close to 2 million saved up for retirement or something, you know, like, you know, there's yeah. a little, that's a little, if you're in the public sector, that's a little well-kept secret that, you know, we do have a pretty kick-ass pension and so forth. And, but that, that actually just really scared me a huge deal. Yeah. Is that like, you can have all this money saved up for retirement, but you're still miserable as hell. And, and that's kind of where I'm like, I got to start living in the present a little bit more. It's, it's very difficult and there's a lot of guilt associated with living in the present because I, you know, I think there's this, um, I, I think it's a Chinese fable of like uh, the, the grasshopper and the, I forgot the other bug, but like the grasshopper is like gathering up all the nuts and berries. Oh, it's, the, the, uh, it's the, um, is it Aesop? I think it's an Aesop fable maybe. Yeah. It's, isn't it a mouse in the, uh, the grasshopper? No, what the hell are the, I know what you're talking about. I don't know why it's escaped me right now. Yes. But one, one is like industrious and saves and saves and the other just lives in the now. Yeah, and then the winter yeah. comes along and he has to like knock on his door and be like, hey, can you help me out? Yeah. And I, I, I you know, on one hand, it does pain me because I'm like, I don't want to be like the mouse or whatever that gets frozen when the winter comes. You know, the grasshopper right. is pretty darn smart. It's got enough fruits and berries or whatever it is that it needs to survive for the, for the long winter and so forth. But at the same time. I think that you you can try new opportunities and you're not being frivolous with your time. So I think going back to what we were saying about like going on never ending vacations and traveling and constant traveling, that I think is where the Aesop fable is, is true, right? Sure. Where that would be just frittering away your time. You're not serious about anything. You're really just goofing around. And you kind of need to like juxtapose that experience with like, okay, there's a lack of stability in my life, but I'm really trying hard to figure out where it is I belong and where it is that I can excel for the long game. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it's a fine, it's a fine balance. And it's like anything else. You, everybody thinks that they'll be good at winning the lottery. Mm -hmm. Nobody is. Everybody thinks that like 
they know what they would do when they retire. But I think most people retire and they're bored. They'd probably go out of their mind because it's not what you think it's going to be. I mean, look at, we're all experiencing this right now. We all suddenly became unemployed. (laughs) You know, like if you had asked two years ago, people would be like, sweet, but we all know it sucks. It's really, it's starting to really grind on people. I mean, summer was different because you can go outside, but not having anything to do is for a human being torturous. And I think that, uh, you know, it seems ideal, but it's just not. Something also that's very scary, and my heart really goes out to these people, it really does, my heart genuinely goes out to these people, is all of the small business owners, because a lot of these folks say, they they were grasshoppers, okay, all Mm -hmm. of the small business owners um, were grasshoppers, they saved, they worked hard, you know, they worked seven days a week, they, you know, they they plunged their life savings, they took out um, loans and, you know, from the bank and so forth to, to open up their convenience store, whatever it is, or their bar. And now all of that, this, this COVID has completely wiped out all of that. I know. And I think that's like an example of like, even the grasshopper is not safe. Like, I think COVID <laughs> is an example of like, even your grasshopper tendencies can be wiped out, sure. you know, like unexpectedly. And, and that's, that's, that's the real truth about this world, Patrick, is that there is no certainty and there is no secure blanket you can hide yourself under. That's so true. Um, nobody likes to think about it, but I mean, we are in a situation where it's, it's become the reality. And I think that, uh, you know, you're totally right. It's like, these guys did the right thing, right? Guys, men and women did the right thing. And suddenly an act of God came along and just kind of like, wiped everything out and it's it's sort of this middle ground that we're we're sort of leaning toward where you work you take your work seriously you try to be as industrious as you can but you also don't do it to the point of detriment to your to your life experience I mean because the reality is there was just a story the other day about somebody who invented Zappos um, the guy who created Zappos died in his house at 46 years old in a fire, a fire. My, yeah. my girlfriend told me about that. Yeah. Totally random, right? Like not his fault. I mean, just talk about something that was just like a complete random act of nature. I'm sure he had a pretty great life, but I mean, that goes to show you the guy had a couple million, a couple billion dollars in his pocket and you know, now he's gone. He, his, his life ended. I'm sure he made the most of it, but I think for most people, that's what it's like. It's like, there's no, there's no guarantee you could die at any time. So you know, it becomes tricky because you, you think the answer is like, oh, just do what you want, enjoy your life, you know, pursue your dreams. But then you do those things and you're like, oh, damn it, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And it feels like <laughs> a, it feels like a jip, you know, you feel like you got lied to. But I think the reality is that you, you have to find a purpose of some sort, be that, make it, you know, drawing, pencil drawings like Vincent Van Gogh, who was terrible at first and then became one of the most famous artists of all time, or whatever it may be. I think, you know, there's, it's such a trope to say you should follow your dreams. I think we hear that as kids all the time, but we don't, that's not the message that we really get. The message yeah. we really get is, you know, be smart, be safe. Um, and there's virtues to both. But I think that the saying to follow your dreams, there's really something to that. And it's not like become an astronaut, become a professional athlete, because you're talking about such a narrow band of people that, you know, that's a different thing entirely. But if you want satisfaction in your life and you want to just be happy and 
at the you know at the end of your life you maybe you struggled and scrimped and saved your entire life and ate ramen noodles but you you really enjoyed your life and you brought value to yourself and perhaps to others i would argue that that's a, a life better lived than somebody who uh did all the right things and put money in their IRA and worked, you know, taught until they were 65 and then had too many bucks in their pocket because, you know, you can't buy that time back. And I just think there's a way to, there's a way to be smart about living your life where you're, you're doing both. You're not being irresponsible, but you're also not giving in because there's a laziness too, to, uh, to giving into a job, like to sitting in an accounting job that you hate for 40 years there's a laziness to that. No matter how, maybe you start making a lot of money, maybe you, uh, your life improves as a result of that. But I mean, just think of all the time that you lost and you didn't get to do anything worthwhile. You know, I find that very sad. So yeah, I, I kind of want to say a few words in defense to the Zappos guy who died at sure. 46. Because yeah. I know there might be some people listening like, see, there's no point in becoming rich. Like you're just, you know, your fire is <laughs> going to come take you away. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're not reading that story entirely correctly. Because here's what I'm going to say about Zappos guy who died at 46. If, if he enjoyed every step of his journey, if he enjoyed selling shoes, if he got a kick out of like, yeah, I opened up my first retail store or whatever, you know, like if he enjoyed that journey and he loved every minute of it, then his life was wonderful. Like, you know absolutely. what I mean? Like, like it was absolutely totally wonderful. Like, I don't want to rich shame people. I don't want to be like, no, oh man, man, and all the rich people, they, 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 they're, they're, they're sellouts or whatever. Like if that man enjoyed every step of his journey, then he lived a wonderful life and he did the best that he could. I think where it comes, where the tricky part is, is like when you just gave the example of the accountant, if that accountant hates life and, and what, you know, a friend told me a very long time ago that one of the classic tales or one of the, the classic things that you can, one of the classic signs rather that you can look for if you really are in the wrong place in life is if you're constantly late to work. I heard that that is the ultimate, huh. the ultimate test to see, because if, you know, people think, oh man, this, and we're, we're New Yorkers, man, the subways are messed up in New York, right? Like, like totally, I, I totally get that. But if you're constantly late every single day, that's actually a psychological cue as to like, you really don't want to be there. That's really what's going on in your mind. You're, because when that alarm goes off, you're pushing the snooze and you're pushing the snooze because you are trying to avoid something that you don't like. That's what's actually, that's the psychological process. A lot of people think that you're just tired and it's like, no, 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 no. You don't like what's going to happen the next day. And that's why you're oversleeping. And that's why you're pressing the snooze. When you really are excited, like I've had, I've had times in my life, Patrick, where, you know, it was time to go to work and I, you know, I was trying to oversleep or whatever. And then there's days where I had like four hours of sleep, like just four hours of sleep or whatever. But I was really excited for what I was about to do that day. Yeah. Sprung out of bed. I didn't even feel the lack of sleep. That's the, these are the kind of signs that you must be paying attention to in your life at all times. Certainly, certainly. And it's, it's tricky because when you point this out to people, what you're, what they might interpret you're saying is um, you're wasting your life. And so I think people can get quite defensive over this topic. And I get that because you're, you're making a judgment on the choices they've made and you're telling them, uh, hey, you're wasting your life. And whether or not that's true, nobody wants to hear that. So I think there's a tremendous amount of resistance to that. However, I think if people were honest with themselves, and I, I would say 
it, there's a lot of like unhappy or unsatisfied people out there doing jobs they don't want to do, but they don't want to admit that they've done that because then you have to sort of admit to yourself that like, oh, I've just wasted X amount of years in my life. And I think that's a tough thing to do, uh, which is a hard thing to admit, but it's also very valuable at the same time to be like, I am no longer giving value to the people around me because I am considering myself wasting time. And so like I, nothing good is being done here. That's that's exactly how I, I looked at that time in my like I was basically following into the the gambler's fallacy of like okay eventually I'll get like the social studies or history teacher position that I really want or whatever and I, I was like okay imagine like one thing another mental exercise you can do is picture yourself in your current job and then think about yourself in the most optimal position in that industry. Okay. So if you're a teacher, you're working at your dream school, you're working as, you know, dream, dream job. You got, you know, good kids. I, so I actually went through the head and I said, okay, if in 15 years I'm at the top of this ladder, I'm in my optimal position, optimal schedule, optimal, everything, will I be happy? And will I say life well spent? And the answer to that Patrick was no. Even if I had a a job at my dream school with great kids and great whatever, I basically said to myself, no, I I would still be kind of miserable. Like this is not, this is not at all what I want. And you're right. I felt like, I felt like, you know, I felt like I, like a schmuck when I realized I had wasted 10 years of my life and so forth. And like I said, I'm not saying I might have to like work some other jobs down the line that I hate. But I think the most important lesson that I learned is that even when you're working a job that you hate, you need to constantly be at it. You have to constantly be vigilant and constantly be looking for the next great thing. And if you're working a job you hate, but you're constantly have your eyes open, then that's okay. You're just doing what you need to do to survive. No judgment. That's a really good point because I think what would improve a lot of people's lives is I've, I've gotten into the rhythm before. I mean, you know, for me, teaching was up at six, at school at 7.15, you know, start teaching at 8.30, out by, you know, let's say three o'clock. I go to the gym, come home, eat dinner, and I watch a movie or something, go to bed. And after like the 500th time of doing that, I started getting severely depressed because I was like, is this it? Is this the, is this going to be my life? Like, I'm going to just do this forever. This is so unsatisfactory. It's not interesting. I really began to resent everything about it. And so I then, I I like got, I don't know where this came from because I'd never been a particularly introspective person until my early 20s. And I began to really think like, how am I going to get out of this? What do I do? Uh, And I had the luxury. I mean, this is what most people don't understand is that they have a luxury of a paycheck that's coming in, especially if you have a mindless job and teaching is not a mindless job. But if you have a job where you can just leave it every day at five o'clock and then pick it up the next day, you don't have to like take work home or whatever it is. You have all that time to figure out, okay, this is what I want to do. And to get there, I'm going to need to do X, Y, and Z, whether that's taking a class, enrolling in night school, something like that. But it's like, you know, you said earlier, and I'm just going to keep returning to the point, without pain, there is no growth. There's been, there's been like push and shove in, in sure. these different directions. Sure. So it, it's like, you know, like I, and I think that's also a gauge that you need to be looking at as well of like, does this, in, is this environment inviting me? 
Like that's, that's something else that I felt. And like, one of my attitudes was like, the environment doesn't seem to like me all that much. Let me change and let me try. And okay. And fair enough. Like, you know, we all have to be adaptable, right? We can't, we can't expect to turn our job into our living room and have it just, just the way that we want. Right. That that's not possible. But there comes a point where it's like, how much of myself am I sacrificing to survive in this ecosystem? So that's, that's like another, another kind of um, thing that you have to think about. Uh, Absolutely. And to, to go along with that, I think you have to start thinking existentially, which is very difficult because it's so tropey. And it's like when people are like, you know, if today were your last day, how would, you know, it's so hard to get in that mind space. And it's also equally hard for somebody to say like, listen, before you know, like I'm 44 now. And let me tell you, it is like that. My 30s, I just flew by in a flash. And it's very difficult to explain that to somebody in their 20s. And, you know, like, it's the same thing. I'm sure somebody in their 60s will look at me and be like, dude, you have no idea how good you have it. It's going to fly by. And I believe them now. And as I get older, time starts to move at a perceptibly quicker rate. And so it's difficult to snap out of that, especially when you're getting into the workforce and you want to save some money and you feel like you want to become your own man or woman in the world. But man, you really are going to pay for it later if you if you sacrifice those years to a, to a career or job that you just kind of feel iffy about and you go along with because then all of a sudden, you know, you're in your 50s and you're married with kids, which is not a bad thing per se, but you maybe haven't done much with your life. I don't know. Some people seem to make it. They seem to get through life not doing much and it doesn't bother them. I guess it's particular to the person, but for myself, I wanted to live a more optimal, exciting life. And I was realizing that, you know, sitting in a classroom, teaching the same thing I've taught for the, for the ninth time, I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> I just <laughs> now, hit this limit. Now, we also have to think of the, uh, the other side of the coin here, okay, Patrick? And I'm going to mm-hmm. take us down a very unpleasant road for the both of us. Sure. So one of the things that we also have to kind of think in our head is, let's say you and I just end up as giant failures, okay? We also have to kind of grapple with, with the reality of like, okay, let, let's just say you and I are just complete failures at life. We don't actually excel at anything. Are you okay just being like, hey, I gave it my best in acting. I gave it my best in in other spheres and other pursuits. It didn't work out. Can you then at some point be okay with yourself and be like, hey, I gave it a good go. It didn't work out, but I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable in my skin. Yeah. And I'm assuming you mean like pursue something else perhaps? Like let, let's just say, you know, you, and I guess this kind of gets down to one of the topics that you know we discussed earlier is like how long do we pursue something before it's right. really time to kind of hang it up because i think right, i think right. there is a fairness in this where it's like you know if you pursue something can you pursue something else that you're passionate about for 10 years without getting any luck at it like is there right. is right. there a point where you can say i tried acting for 10 years nothing happened i can now gracefully bow out from that and, and try something else or, or, or pick something more stable or safe? Sure, sure. Well, my opinion is this. There comes a point for most of us when that happens, yeah. uh, particularly in a field like acting or uh, music, somewhere in the arts, because you have to quote unquote pay your dues. And then there comes a point where you start being like, okay, I'm reaching that point where my dues are paid and yet I haven't seen any success yet. At which point you have to 
you have to measure the joy that it's bringing you versus whether or not you are miserable in other areas of your life. So I actually have several active friends who have quit. They've been like, listen, I tried this for 10 years, nothing happened, I'm out, which I completely understand. I personally don't think I will ever quit because it's just something I enjoy so much and I couldn't imagine doing something else. Now, if I'm never successful, uh, which is a distinct possibility, that seems okay with me, at least for now. Like I could be okay never being a huge success as long as I keep writing and putting up my small plays and acting. I'd be pretty happy with that only because that happens to bring me joy. And what I'm looking for in acting is not like, Uh, huge starring roles, although I'd love that. But I don't think that's going to make me any happier, A. And B, for me, the joy comes from acting on stage in smaller productions. And so in that regard, I'm already sort of a success. Uh, And I don't say that um, like a Hallmark card, you know. I mean, I really mean that in that I feel like I'm doing what I should be doing, Not, not what I was meant to do, because I don't necessarily believe that. I think that's a very overused sort of a sentiment. I just am doing something and I've, I've never been in, I've never been in the zone before the way I am when I write or when I'm acting. Now that's not to say I'm great at those things, but it's just, I connect with those on a level I haven't connected with other things. And so for me, I don't see myself ever quitting because I just couldn't imagine doing anything else and being any happier than I am now. But if we were talking about straight up success, I, I can understand when people bow out. I just think it really comes down to, it really, you really do sort of like boil it down to its purest essence the longer you go on. It's like, how bad do you want this? And why are you doing this? You know? I, like, I like what you said about like enjoying the journey. And I like the fact that you said, right now, I am a success. I think that's a very beautiful sentiment that people need to hear because I think that even regardless of your financial status or how rich you are, whatever it is, if in this moment you're doing something that gives you meaning and purpose, you are a winner. Like I, I, I actually think that this is something that, that a lot of people miss. They're like, oh man, if you're, if you're poor and you're doing what you love, you're a loser. I'm like, no, if you're doing something you love and it makes you feel good every day, then you are a winner. Like there's no way about it. So I think that when people are thinking about new things that they're trying, if they are trying those new things, regardless of whether they're, you know, breaking the bank with it, if they feel good doing it, that makes them a winner. And that means they're on the right path. Even if it, even if, you know, 10, 20 years down the line, they're not, they're not like, you know, they haven't become rich by it. It doesn't matter. They had 10 or 20 years of you know, acting in small productions or producing small productions. And that's, that's something to smile back at. And that's something to be proud of. Yeah. And really, I don't say any of that in a sort of syrupy saccharine way. I happen to be one of my jobs. I work at this very sort of upscale boutique um, gym. And I come into contact with a lot of very, very wealthy people. And these are guys my age and younger, and they are multi, multi-millionaires. And I can tell you firsthand, never having been rich myself, but I am happier than about 95% of those people on a day-to-day basis. And they have what I think our society has been told is the, the ultimate goal. They have more money they know what to do with. There's nothing that they can't do at any given time. They, there's nothing they can't have. So they have access to basically everything. And yet a lot of these guys are just, they're not happy. They're chasing something. I don't think they know what it is. 
and and I don't, I'm not saying this to feel superior to them, but I've realized, I'm like, oh, I'm happier than these people. I'm more successful than they are. Um, no, I would not refuse any of their money. But at the same time, I realized, it helped me realize that money is not going to fill this hole that I think we all have inside of us. I certainly have one in me and I'm trying to figure out what's driving me, what makes me happy. And so it is as cheesy as it sounds, doing a, you know, a black box play where there's like six people in the audience really does make me happier than I think most other things could. I mean, would I like to be standing at the Oscars? Of course. <laughs> but even that, I think that is like something that people cook up in their heads that they think is going to be the ultimate happiness. And I, I just don't think it is. I want, yeah, I, I, I definitely don't want a rich shame on the show because I'm sure yeah. there are rich folks that are happy and, and sure I know some yeah they're great totally you know so like let, I'm not going to generalize them now and I like that you actually have this I assume this gym is in Manhattan probably in Midtown or wherever you know and you see these yeah. rich folks and so forth Look, one thing that I've noticed about Manhattan folk I'm a Queens folk that's how I refer okay. to my I'm a Queens guy <laughs> and there's Manhattan folk is that they're always they're always yelling about something there's always something that isn't just so like 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 I see them sometimes like eating and like it like like the meal was not served exactly but they're very precise right. I call them very precise they like things to be precisely in such a way and I'm like if you're a very precise person man oh man are you going to be in for some disappointments in this world you know and I, I i kind of think that um you know if you're of that wealthier mindset and you want things to be very precise you're in for a hell of a lot of disappointment whereas my what i notice is that people who aren't as precise tend to be a lot happier because they don't have that that huge list of expectations of like everything you know this gym needs to be just this way or whatever and like the um this needs to be wiped down just perfectly i'm wondering if, the, if there was like maybe just two or three things that you think are causing these people to be miserable, what would you say they are? I think that it's very difficult to let go of this concept of money being the answer to a lot of problems or money being the key for a lot of locks, because uh, it is for a lot of things. But these are all practical things, whereas emotionally and you can't and it sounds so it sounds so overused. You really cannot buy happiness. And I mean that literally, in that the happiest people I know are people who are very content in what they're doing. Uh, they're very small time. They're not rich, they're not famous, they, nor do they want to be. And yet you have these people who are, you know, there's something very masculine and there's something very sort of, you know, um, in Manhattan, especially people who are chasing money and they're making deals and they're bringing home millions. And at the end of the day, they're, they're less happy than most people I know because it's never enough or they get to that place and they're suddenly like, wait, this isn't anything I, like I thought it was going to be. So that's one thing is like letting go of this concept of money. And that's a very, very difficult thing to do, particularly if you, if you grew up poor. And I think the other thing is, I think we, as I said before, I think there's a, there's a the deficit in all of us. I think human beings by nature have this thing we're trying to fill. And for most of us, it's what drives us, you know, for most of us, we want to, um, you know, we think making a lot of money will make us happy, or if we meet the perfect woman, right, or we get into drugs, or we get into drinking, and we're trying to find this thing to fill this hole inside of us to finally make us stop yearning. And I think that that thing is purpose. And that's something that can only be found with like a lot of self self reflection and a lot of and a lot of experience too. And that's why like to bring this full circle, 
those people who have a lot of jobs, I think are often mentally more explored than other people because they really are trying on different things and trying to find a purpose because at the end of the day, purpose is the only thing that can bring you satisfaction. So there's a difference between purpose and success in this world, the success usually um, implying money. And so that's just not something you can buy. And I think you'll see a lot of people who make a lot of money and then they go off and they do charity work or they'll, they'll do something that's not glamorous at all because they realize that you know, there's, there's joy to be had elsewhere and it's not in, in a bank. There's something really beautiful that you said and that's this idea of purpose. And I think that if you have, let's say two types of rich people, okay? You have one rich person who just happened to get rich doing something they love. I think that's real and I think that's authentic. Sure. And I think that's yeah. an awesome rich person. So if you're a rich person and you just kept on following, so you wake up every day, you're like, I love being here every day. I love you, man. Like, I'm not jealous. I'm like, God bless you, man. God bless you that you get to do something that you love every day and get rich doing it. Right. I think it's the other category of rich person that became rich constantly fighting battles and constantly uh, laboring at something that they don't find all that pleasant. Because, you know, work is, when you break it down, it's a third of your life. And that's, that's way too long. That's way too much energy, no matter how much riches it brings you. That's way too much energy to devote to something that kind of makes you feel miserable for a third of your life. No matter how great that car is, no matter how great those vacations are, that's just too much. It's too much of an ask. That's too much of a, a portion of your life to, to really forfeit um, for, for something. Yeah, I agree. And I think you see a lot of this when uh, people have children especially men, because I think men are typically driven by different things. And then when they have like someone like my brother who had kids and now like his kids mean more to him mm. than his wife does, you know, like they mean everything to him because they brought him just this sense of purpose in his life that he didn't even know he had. And now everything, you know, not to say he spoils his children, but like his life, he understands that his job is to make sure that they are safe and comfortable, et cetera. And so it's interesting to watch when everything else falls away. Like I know a couple of jujitsu guys who are tough as nails and they just go to pieces around their children. Their children are everything to them. You know, these are like stay at home dads who like wear their kids on a, and like a baby Bjorn in the front because that is their purpose in life. And I think there's something really beautiful about that. Absolutely, Patrick. I think that's actually, if you would like to come back on the show, I'd love to talk to you about having children. And it's kind of weird because <laughs> both of us are single dudes, but I think, right. I, think, I, think it's, I think it's worth exploring. Uh, Patrick, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for so much for having me, my friend. Anytime. This concludes the 88th episode of the Truth Island Podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.